Welcome to issue 12 of Scout and Birdie. Truth or dare. I'm Jennifer Keel. And I'm Anna Wolf. So, 12 issues. Whoa, it's been a whole year of Scout and Birdie. <laughs> yeah, we launched Scout and Birdie on the 20th of January of last year. And that was kind of like our big truth or dare moment. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> our big moment where we were like, Okay, we've made the decision. Dare, we're going. The first time Jen and Anna ever took a dare, ever. <laughs> ever. Yeah. We're not the most daring of people, I would say. I, As a child, I only ever picked truth. Oh, me too. I, like, wanted to pick truth because I wanted to talk about my feelings and myself, and the idea of taking a dare was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. I, I feel like I just didn't want that kind of adventure and I am definitely a person who prefers having control in my own life and the idea of someone just being able to say anything and I have to just go do it. I know that theoretically you could say no, but it doesn't feel like it when you're a kid. So Also, we're both people pleasers, so Mm -hmm. the idea of saying no to a dare sounds horrible and it's just so much easier to say truth and have a little bit more control over what you're doing. I think the people who pick D.A.R.E. are very interesting. It's very telling about their personality. Mm-hmm. And I think there's got to be an element of, yes, you're adventurous, but I I can't imagine that I would pick D.A.R.E. without hoping they're going to ask a certain question. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like whenever I played Truth or D.A.R.E. or any of those like party games, I always wanted things to get a little bit more scandalous than they ended up. I was like hoping that people would ask like juicier questions and then the truth would be like have you ever left the country (laughs) I was like I would have told you this if you just would have asked me yeah we don't need to be playing this game (laughs) but I think there's so few moments where kids really get into deep conversation so it feels like that moment where you're like okay let's find out some dirt but you need you need a game or something to give you an excuse to be able to ask those hard questions or to, to like, just talk to each other. Yeah. Like yeah. 10 fingers. Have you ever done this? Oh, I have too. Cool. Cool. We, we're, we've got so much in common. Yeah. We're just striving for any sort of connection when you're a kid. Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, great. Party but you know what? Even if we close. didn't have any of these in common, I'd still be your friend. <laughs> I'm desperate. <laughs> <laughs> So in this issue, we asked the artist to basically play Truth or Dare. Yeah, so we have some really amazing pieces to share with you, and we delve into this idea of examining our personal truths, what we're reflecting to the world, and kind of those defining daring moments in some cases. So... We're so excited to share their work with you. So please enjoy issue 12, Truth or Dare. Okay, first up we have Ari Marion. You'll remember Ari from her piece in our Breathe issue. And we're so excited to have her back with us for this one. So please enjoy Ari's piece. To my imaginary monster.
One. I expected you to know the morning after we kissed on the futon leftovers from my dad's basement, repurposed for my living room. I expected you would know when I found you buttoning up your red flannel shirt, familiar, like the red target flannel I stole from my ex-lover, the girl with the rectangle garden. I offered to take you home. It was 6 a.m. You said yes. And I took that to mean that you wanted to spend more time with me. You confirmed this when you asked me in for coffee, back when you wanted me back. Two. I do not recognize my underground childhood from my second floor apartment with windows as TV screens for snow. Tooth white chunks that play with the wind only for my amusement. I imagine a white flurry cascading beneath the streetlights, down to my nose and attaching to the strands. When I touch my hair, they melt. Three. There is much to say about this futon. A welcome sight for sleepovers with my childhood friends. The four of us crammed into a space for two adults. We hid in the smallness of our elementary bodies. Why did their parents allow them to surround my fear from the monsters upstairs? How much of it was a game? The laughter was play. We shielded ourselves sometimes in the ground from the imaginary creatures upstairs. We waited for them to come and find us. It becomes difficult for small bodies with minds not so small to discern between what is real and what is imaginary when what is real is unwelcome and imaginary monsters become our friends and family. Four. You sit with me in the bliss of the unknown that is, but may not be us. Here in my living room, I watched the snow again. I expected you would know what all of this meant. Five. Your words shimmy across the taut string that connects our noses from one edge of the futon to the other. I'm really bad at this. My gaze falters from your face to the brilliance of the Christmas lights framing your torso. You pull at the string and nudge my eyes to yours. It's what we have in common. It's the honesty, the depression, the writing. I read an honesty across your face. It makes me want you. It's the vulnerability. It's the frank stares, the confessions that don't sound with apology. It's the sparkle in our skin. Six. You sit with me in genuine silence. My mind fills the space with the false hope of an escape. Seven. I recently graduated from a hallway where the walls were meant to be white. Instead, the moldy green of old citrus fruit. The space between smelling of heat and stale cafeteria food. Hopelessness, they call it. I think of a past provider asking, do you feel hopeless? The insincere tone in her voice irked me. How does one go about losing hope? Eight. We carelessly fall against the throw my softer crocheted 30 years ago with yellow flowers cross-stitched into the black background, a split between two squares, an open mouth on the mouth of the futon. Your lips are between mine squandering space 
enveloping one another in cotton. Collar tugging, blouse unbuttoning, pausing. The string between our noses lags as we swoon. We shuffle, stretch, and bend. Extremities fall over the edge of the couch, pulling our bodies closer to the floor. The ground beneath us feels heavy, tugging at the faded and torn photographs that hide beneath the floorboards of my mind. So heavy, I feel like a child. Nine. My inner thighs are layered with scars, red and raised, like this rug burn that will last for days. What determines whether or not I remember the story behind a scar? Ten. Between my thighs, your ears burn with the story of each scar. I feel that you know why I am this way. It feels so much. The sensation of warmth spreads through my body like swallowing the bath and candlelight whole. Up my legs, my torso, and my arms, the flame envelops me. Salty teardrops cling to my earlobes. Where did they come from? I hear them drip onto the futon. I hang myself and let the wildfire race the flood. Strung out in the frigid room with windows bolted shut, freezing air leaking in regardless. Salt cakes onto the skin beneath my eyes. I stand alone, all eyes, all two of your eyes on me. Did I hurt you? No. You ask, did something happen? I say, I don't know. I can't remember. I expected you would know what this meant. 11. I have no memory of that night my monster fought her with his fists and then came for me. 12. At the age of sharing futons, my friend had an imaginary Dave, a ghost that lived in her home growing up. They danced together in her living room. Sometimes he visited her at recess. What happened that she can't remember him? All right, we're here with Matt McNish, who is here to talk about his album, I Don't Feel at Home in the Garden. And you'll remember Matt from our older issue, Be Kind Rewind, where we had Matt on with more of his beautiful music. Welcome back, Matt. Thank you. We're so glad to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. We um, saw on your uh, social media that you were creating an album, and literally I texted Jen and was like, we need to have this on Scout and Birdie. Yeah, and I was like, I already was thinking the same thing. So That's yeah. perfect, yeah. <laughs> it's cool because that was actually um, our last conversation. I feel like I was beginning to figure out what it was like to record music. Um, so also, that was really helpful, uh, that interview, for me to just figure out my thoughts and where I was at. Um, oh. So when I think about the journey of recording new music that is uh a moment that was also really helpful for me so oh that's uh. so lovely <laughs> it's really nice to hear <laughs> yeah so what was that process like of starting to get those 
initial thoughts of, I want to record a full album and I think I'm ready to do this. Yeah, I think um, that was something that I wanted to do when I released my first EP. I think I already was thinking in terms of, I really wanted to do a full piece. Um, I've loved music since I was a kid and always loved uh, listening to albums in full by artists who I really liked. And then the EP sort of was me trying stuff out and it just got to a point where I suddenly had a wealth of material. Um, there's a lot of stuff that didn't make it on this album, but I felt like I had learned enough about recording. I also was not working for a month and mm. I knew that that was temporary. Oh. So I was like, let me spend this month just as an experiment to see if I can do this by devoting a lot of time to it. So it was like 12, 13 hour days for three weeks, I think. And then I had a full album wow. uh, by the end of it. Wow. That so. is so nice to be able to take the time to just you, the music. Yeah, I was very grateful. I'm actually going back to work at the same job that I was working at before. I left voluntarily and then I'm going back. So that's a very rare moment. Yeah. So I think that's what made me sort of decide this is something that I need to do since I have this opportunity to I'd saved up money I had the equipment uh, so I just went ahead and did it I feel like whenever I've had the opportunity to like fully dive in to a piece of work that I'm working on and not have distractions of work and not have all that other stuff going on it feels like an even more like cathartic experience once it's done and I feel like the themes and ideas of whatever I'm working on in that piece like sort of like envelop that month Yes. Did you yeah. feel like it sort of took over like everything you were? It thinking? really did, yeah. And actually, the song that we were talking about, uh, "Seeing a Man Alive in Pictures," that was the last song that I recorded, and was very surprised by the end of it. I got to a point in recording it where I knew it was almost finished, and I think from pure exhaustion, maybe like I was pushing myself so hard, I cried. And I think I recognized how much, wh whether or not it's good or not, it reflects where I was at. And, you know, I was exhausted. And it was also strange that moment to be thinking, oh, tomorrow I won't have a song to record because this is the last one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the, emotional. Like the post-project sads. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Um, I was not anticipating that. I th I thought it would be like, I'm so proud, but uh, there was really a mourning period, too, of having taken this risk, not sure if I could record a full album, managing to do it, and then being like, what do I do now? Yeah, and, and you self-record, so it was really um, like a process of working with yourself. And yes, yeah. That's That's something that I don't know what it's like to write and collaborate with other people, I would like to, that would, that's a goal of mine. And I feel like the way to do that is creating your own work. But one thing about recording on your own, it just is so intensely personal and lonely and you will go through hours and hours and hours of being like, this isn't working, this isn't working mm -hmm. and then break through and that's so satisfying. And then you turn around and you are expecting a crowd of applause, <laughs> but you're just there in your apartment alone. It's um, really, it was intense and maddening sometimes. So I, I was also a relief when I finished that song as well. 
even though it was sad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And the themes of that song in general are a lot to sort of have going like in your head over and over again. Mm. What was your, um, what was your inspiration for writing that song or starting point with that song? Yeah. When I first started recording the album, most of it was written. And then I had some songs that were half written and this was one of them. And I had done a performance uh, for some college radio station in Kalamazoo um, where he was asking me about my music and uh, he had this observation that I seem to have a fascination about time, which my roommate will laugh. Also, when she hears me recording stuff or writing new music, there's a million songs about getting older and stuff. And she's like, you're in your 20s, <laughs> this is, uh, one day you're going to look back and laugh at this. But there was already this larger theme about time, and then I had this song, which came from an old notebook, the lyrics, uh, love is one thing, but heartbreak is another, seeing a man I loved in pictures when he was younger, before he knew me, the knowledge increases, the beauty, and then it ends up becoming a meditation on time, um, I was proud that it starts as a pretty standard breakup song, and then by the end, it's more an existential consideration of, uh, is everything just temporary, um, is the question at the end, and then why would that be, why would that be, feels like a question that humans have been asking themselves mm. yeah. forever, so I was really proud to have a song that doubled as something that was personal and about a breakup song, just a traditional breakup song tied in with some larger themes. Yeah. yeah. It definitely sets it apart from the usual breakup song because this was definitely when I first listened to it, this one was my favorite out of them Thank that you. I heard, even though the full album is not out yet, but will be out soon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Out of the three that were available to listen to, this one really got me because I think I have that existential crisis going on in my head all the time. I'm also a little obsessed with time. Definitely. Where, <laughs> this is definitely where I go. Yeah. yeah. And I think good, a good song, good art in general can sort of take something that is deeply personal to you, like your specific breakup, and by the end hopefully connect it to something that is bigger and broader that connects us all, even if we haven't dealt with like that specific breakup we can understand and connect to it on a bigger field yeah yeah and I'm glad it got the, I, I think what I was struggling with also initially with that song was I think there was maybe an earlier version where it was a little bit more sappy and like poor me <laughs> um and then when it became like uh one story joining in the larger question that like a lot of people would be asking themselves which is just we're all affected by time. We all have to reconcile with the fact that everything is by nature temporary, pretty much. I remember writing that lyric coming about pretty organically, where it became a bigger question, um, and surprising myself with how much that had moved me. Mm. Um, yeah, so I was proud. <laughs> you should be. Yeah, thank yeah. you. We're uh, really glad to have you back Thank you. Uh, with your album and hopefully in the nature of 
recording with Scott and Bertie, maybe this recording will trigger the next great project <laughs> yeah, yeah. or well, be like a small starting out process. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. I think it probably will too. And I think this will be coming out right before the album comes out. So it'll be an interesting time to listen to the interview as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll let you all know when it is finally out. Um, but for now, please enjoy Matt's song, Seeing a Man I Loved in Pictures. Love is one thing, but heartbreak is another. Seeing a man I loved in pictures. When he was younger, before he knew me, the knowledge increases the beauty. The day we meet, we both will be lonely, won't we? As generosity. Oh, why would that be? Oh, why, 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 why would that be? Oh, 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 why would that be?
All right. Next up, we have Tayana Anumanu. And you'll remember Tayana from our Breathe issue again. And she's a wonderful writer, and we're so glad to have her back with her piece, Cascade. Two breaths in, two breaths in, two breaths in. Now plunge to the ocean floor, admire the ruin, frolic and fallout from battles long fought and won. Trouble still waters, allow toes to dance at the meat of tide and shore. Sit in silence, ingest the fumes of indecision, embrace the yearning, a cool wanting for more. In this life, where empathy rests in small hiding places, fiend for good, disrupt the evil of complacence, dare to be, truth lies in pure existence. Tango with obscurity, envision self at the peak, In the depths, take a step, click heels steeped in dogged courage, push your will, in time it will all be worth it. Inhale once more, steady quivering scope in the whirlwind, now is all, submerge into the waters of the present. Next up, we have our friend Jennifer Chuku. This is Jenny's second time being in Scout and Birdie. She was in our past issue, The Witching Hour, and Mm -hmm. we're so glad to have her back with us. So please enjoy Jenny's piece, How to Unfold Your Brain. One, wake up. Analyze your dreams, not the steamy ones. Keep those as they are. If you dreamed about losing your teeth, you're feeling worried and insecure. If you dreamed about a TV show, you're just tired of it being on hiatus. Two, shower. You smell. It's gone past the natural musk. Your twist out is now knotted. The plug-in is overworked and has done all it can. Simply, you look like shit and your room smells like it. Three, get up. Four, Turn on the shower. A, water is good. B, the label in your soap says it's nourishing. C, wash and scrub, repeat if necessary. Five, get out of the shower. B, if your mind has now jumped to your body being the reason why you are single, shut the fuck up. You have a body that literally keeps you alive. You're complaining about some pounds while it's complaining that you never show it love. See, if A and B did not work, remember you're saying that she wants to become a Goodreads quote. Trying to find love without loving yourself is like going to an all-you-can-eat buffet without a plate. 
D. If A, B, and C didn't work, call Bay Task Force. 7. Repeat steps 4 and 5 if necessary. 8. How little you time? A. It won't make your fingers hairy. 9. Put on your granny panties. Cry, yawn, laugh, fart. It doesn't matter. Just release whatever is inside. Try not to scream. You're stuck in a line for designated apartment weirdo. 10. After release, remind yourself that you're not a Lady Macbeth sitting in a window or any supernatural force for destruction. A. You've never read Macbeth. 11. Remember that while you're not a supernatural force for destruction, you do have a monster inside your head. You've known her for 16 years, but for the last two, you've learned ways to keep her chained. Some days it's okay to pet her. She may try to bite. She may try to give you pity eyes. Do not unchain her. Just walk away. She will always be there. 12. Take your meds. Don't pour them down the toilet and record yourself doing so. A. The pills just end up sticking to the bottom of your toilet. B. It is a waste of your copay and two fifty it takes to go to the doctor's office. Just take them. Open your mouth. Pop them in. Drink water, coffee, or whatever non-alcoholic drink is on your desk and then swallow. Pick out your clothes, and as you get dressed, think about elementary, middle, and high school. Think about home and be grateful. It will not always be there. Your state is dying. Your parents are dying. You are dying. But for now, all is alive. When that is no longer the case, your memories will live. Then after that, it is your stories. We're here with Jillian Hansen-Lewis, who is sharing a series of photos called Just Desserts. Welcome, Jillian. Or you Jill. guys are cute. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. You're cute, too. <laughs> Bunch of cuties sitting around chatting about art. So I know Jillian through uh, my good friend Liam, and when Liam showed me Jillian's artwork, um, I just thought, wow, this is would be such a lovely thing to have on for our um, one-year birthday show. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Jillian, why don't you go ahead and tell us about um, your project, Just Desserts. So my project, Just Desserts, um, features a series of cakes that I had made for my exes, and on each cake I have kind of like a comment about how I look at the relationship, either thanking them or kind of telling them how I feel. Um, and then each cake is then placed in a place where we either had sex or had a romantic moment and just kind of makes a little monument, like an emotional monument to the space and then photograph it for a document. And then if they're, me and them are cool, they get the cake afterwards. If they're not (laughs) cool, then I get to eat it or I give it to a friend. Um, so yeah, it was a very tasty project yeah (laughs) yeah it seems like such a good way of um taking a relationship and like really getting to have closure with it or or figure out what it meant to you and and sort of have that like final moment of like having power yeah it was very it was definitely a really cathartic piece um when I was first working on it I was going through um a breakup 
And it was nice to kind of like go through the catalog of all the places I've been and just kind of like put everything in perspective. And it kind of really helped me process the current moment. And also just like going back through that timeline and realizing like who I was in all those situation and how I like kind of like always have been the same person um, and kind of gaining power in that moment. And like also just like, I don't know, looking back at people and just kind of like when you look at yourself in so many different situations and the thing that's always there is you is like, I think a really empowering thing, even if like in some of those situations you didn't feel very powerful. Yeah. 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 At the end, you have like the ability to, to like look back on yourself and see what you've gained from that relationship or what you've learned about yourself and be able to sort of solidify that moment through this these pieces you either take positive things or negative things but you're always gaining yeah you know yeah so you were telling me um that you had the cakes made by different artists or different bakeries throughout (laughs) Uh, cake artists at whole foods Um, (laughs) i mean you know which was i know most of the whole foods people around the city now because i would just go to kind of like the closest one to the locations um and also mariano's uh, the, the people there thought it was exceedingly funny. Um, I think it really mixed up like the day to day, like happy birthday, Johnny's. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It inspired a lot of questions, um, especially some of the statements. Yeah. Like for example, there's, um, there's like, congratulations, you weren't on 16 and pregnant yeah. and, um... still one of my best friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did they get that cake? Yeah, they definitely got that cake. It's also like, like finding that couch was like a problem. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. so that was the exact that, couch that. Yeah, that was okay. the couch. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. I think there's like a like because me and uh, him are still cool, so I like went down to his parents' house in the suburbs, and like. Yeah. yeah. That is serious commitment. When yeah. I commitment. when I think yeah. back to my past relationships, the idea of like revisiting those specific places would yeah. be. I mean, probably very powerful, but also at the same time, like, really hard to put myself back into that emotional state. Yeah. Some of them are a little more, like, subjective or, like, kind of, like, a remake of the space a little bit. So, like, the one on the beach is, like, that's the beach, but, like, the blanket's different because that the original blanket was, like, red wine just everywhere. So, (laughs) she threw it off. And, yeah, so... At some point, I realized details were important in these things. So um, on that shot, there's, like, the handprints that are embedded. So, yeah. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. just noticing that. Is that something that is specific to the memory that you had in that moment? Yeah, yeah. The, there is a... <laughs> I'm just going to go into detail. That one had a lot of funny moments. The other thing the person did was because, like, we had just had sex on the beach is they peed but they peed a giant heart in the sand. (laughs) Romance. (laughs) And I was like, it was both this moment where I was like, this is kind of like weird, but like, I kind of love it. Like I'm really into how weird you are. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're um, wanting to see the specific one, this is thanks for letting me be me and teaching me to let others be them. Yeah. And also like that was, I would say out of like all the relationships I've had, like, that is like the best lesson that this person taught me because they were one of the first people who I feel like like I felt like no judgment like obviously like this person didn't judge themselves because they're like peeing in the sand you know but like yeah it really they really freed me in a lot of ways and then I hope to like bring that kind of non-judgment to other people and free them 
you know, yeah. in the ways that I love them. I think that's a really beautiful yeah. way of looking at a relationship after it's done, yeah. um, of sort of like this, this cake of what, yeah. what you've gained from this and what you're able to like, this sort of treat that you've gotten from this. And even if the relationship, you know, ended negatively or even yeah. if it's ended in general, which I yeah. think a lot of people look at as a negative thing always. Yeah. It's always hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there still can be something like beautiful that came from that. Definitely. And also I think that helps if you like just isolate moments, which I think the cakes do. It's like, I tried for a while to try to like embody the whole thing. And I was like, that's just not going to happen. <sighs> you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I think it's more so like the, that moment where you're like, that was, that was fun. You know, like whatever else happened, you know, like good time. Yeah. You know, that was good. I'm curious, how did you decide what flavor each cake was going to be? Some of them I like were requested. So like the first one is red velvet because like that's his favorite. Congratulations. You weren't 16 and pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, I was able to call him and be like, yo, what's up? Um, And like, (laughs) like, I feel like that was like you know, like, the first person I ever had sex with, and then we've been friends for 13 years now after wow. that. So it's, it's like, time. So it's, like, I was, like, how do I talk about that one? And I was, like, well, really, like, the relationship's just, like, our friendship, you know? So it's, like, cool. Like, you know, it's a very, like, casual thing. Um, yeah, and then other people, um, the one in the alley is uh, Tres Leches, which was requested... Um, (laughs) I love how specific that yeah yeah and that was another one that got delivered um thank you for finding that spot on my foot that put me to sleep yeah yeah that person knew how to care for me Hmm. you know I love there's like different forms of loving yeah and that person knew how to do all the all well, the ways. Tris Liches yeah. makes sense then. <laughs> they like have to soak all the different layers. It yeah. takes a lot of preparation. Yeah. And then <laughs> the one on the float, it, it's, I guess, um, well, the float one's carrot because that guy was boring. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> but also, he liked carrot cake, I remembered. Um, <laughs> Which proves, only proves yeah, the point he that he's boring. <laughs> Thinking about cake and Scott and Birdie's one year birthday, this is. So lovely, and I'm so hungry for cake now. So thank you for being here with us. Thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. Cool. Chill. Next up, we have Reverend Rebecca Anderson. And Rebecca is the co-founding pastor of Gilead Chicago, which is a new inclusive creative church based in Rogers Park. I met Rebecca at an event that the Jewish organization that I work for and um, go to was hosting along with Gilead's and we're sort of like sister organizations, um, very spiritual communities that come together and do a lot of art and storytelling Um, and she's a wonderful person to talk to and we were so glad to have her on for the issue. So please enjoy her piece, Lazarus, Come Forth. I need you to understand what evangelical means, what it meant, because otherwise you're not going to get the full import of what happens. 
You'll be like my therapist who said, would you feel differently if religion weren't involved? If? Well, sure. But it is involved. It was involved. We were evangelicals. So I need you to understand a little what it means to have grown up in an evangelical minister's home, for my sake and for yours, so you can relax. Evangelical has come to me in a set of politics, but it started with the Greek word euangelion, an official proclamation from the Roman occupiers. So for Jesus, this radical peasant, to go around proclaiming what his followers called the euangelion was a radical act. We can't change what it means now, but that's where it started. It meant something like, of the good news. So, I was sitting with my parents in the parsonage when the church phone rang. Oh, the parsonage is the house where a preacher lives with his or her family. In our parsonage, we had two phone lines, one that we answered, hello, Andersons, and the other, Evangelical Free Church, Rebecca speaking, how can I help you? In our parsonage, these were also useful for playing what my mother disparaged as phone games. Now my dad answered the church phone. Evangelical Free Church, Rick speaking. My mom and I stayed in the living room, and there were these long silences in the conversation. Mom, true to form, tried to guess what was going on on the other end of the phone, who was sick, who'd gone into labor, who'd lost her job, bless her heart. Mom said, Rebecca, this is just like your play. I was 23 and living with my parents again. After college, I had moved back in, which I know. That spring, I'd completed my undergraduate thesis, a play about growing up evangelical. I had tried in it to explain to an extremely secular audience what it was like to grow up in the church. And my audience there was made up of people who, when they found out how I'd been raised, acted like I'd just gotten out of a POW camp. Oh my god, I, I had no idea. I'm so sorry, can you talk about it? Are you OK? And everyone wanted the dirt. What goes on behind the scenes? And this had been true since middle school when tele-evangelist scandals turned my bus ride home into a nightmare. Kids who'd previously only been able to fall back on, oh, my daddy's a preacher, my daddy doesn't like me to swear. They could now intimate things about my father and Jessica Hahn, but my dad, my dad wasn't a big shot. My dad was the pastor of a small church in a small town. My dad was and is a short, squat, bald guy with a crooked nose and glasses. Besides all of which, he was a man after God's own heart you know, like King David. So I said to my thesis advisor in college years later, that's the thing, there weren't any skeletons in the closet. This is just a play about how surprisingly good and pleasant it was to grow up in the evangelical church in America. To my middle school bullies, to the collegiate atheists and skeptics, there weren't any skeletons. My work is a love song to my childhood in the church. And even now, when I look back at the way things were when I was in a conservative church, it looks like all good news. I see my family's dinner table lit up through a window. I see my father, who was my pastor for the first 23 years of my life, an ebullient, warm pastor who radiated joy and love of God. I see me and my brother climbing over the church pews and performing weddings for our stuffed animals. I see my mother, who did the real work of making a Christian out of me, not because she taught Sunday school, but because she taught us at home having us light candles during Advent and helping us memorize Bible verses. I see my whole faith community singing songs that I still love, and I can hear celebrations of Christian high holidays. See? No skeletons. A love song. But I also grew up with stories of the dead being raised, walking out of tombs and tripping over their own shrouds. 
I grew up with stories of stones being rolled away from graves while people stood back with their veils pulled across their faces to keep out the smell of death. So you'd think I wouldn't shoot my mouth off about skeletons. When the phone rang that September after college, our skeleton woke up and stretched. My dad hung up the phone and disappeared. He went into the basement. We heard the clang of the washing machine door, but otherwise thick silence. In lower voices, my mother and I tried to guess what was going on. And what was going on was this. Over the next few days, the news came out that my father had been having an affair with a woman who worked in the church, a married woman who was a well-known leader. But the news came out gradually over the course of several days. On Wednesday, that phone call, and when he came up from the basement, a tortured admission that they'd had an inappropriate relationship. On Thursday, standing at the fence posts by the church parking lot, a tight-lipped report that they'd been more than friends. Early on Friday morning, in the gray of a pouring rain, my father stood with me in our kitchen and told me I confessed everything to Mom. I carefully folded a shirt I was holding and then became very still. Can I ask what you're thinking? I refolded the shirt and wondered, what was I thinking? Where could I start? We stood by the sink, the rain dumping down, everything dark. Thinking of his great joy at life in the church, I finally said, this was your gift, and you shot yourself in the foot. I know, Beck, he said. I know. By Friday afternoon, the rain had passed. My mother and her best friend sat in September sun in metal lawn chairs they'd dragged into the garden, along with a box of Kleenex. All day, the phone rang and rang. Deacons showed up in the middle of the workday, the parking lot filling up with cars. And then Saturday, well, Saturday's a grave day, the day Jesus spent in the grave, the day my father spent preparing his public confession. And we were alone, just us, just the three of us, my brother off at college. We moved around the house awkward and quiet. My father and I met in the kitchen that night as he carried his pillow upstairs to the couch. I was angry because it was so ridiculous. Now we were part of the American comic strip that has adulterous men carrying their pillows to the couch to sleep. Dad wanted to tell me something. Beck? Yeah? Will you look at me? And now, angry because I was ridiculous too, I tried to look at him. I tried and I couldn't, even though I could see out of the corner of my eye that he was crying. Beck! I looked at him then. I can't remember what he said. And then Sunday morning, waiting for church to begin to attend the first ever Anderson family public confession and resignation. I mean, we didn't know what to wear, much less what to do with ourselves. I played the piano for a little bit. A really generous friend of mine showed up. My brother arrived home unannounced with his best friend and together we all waited like before a funeral talking in hushed tones. After the church service started, we made our way across the driveway and into my father's office at the back of the church. We stood, sat, waited without talking. Finally, it was time to go in, and we opened the office door and single file walked up the long side aisle past the pews where the people stood singing, heads back, full voice, come thou fount of every blessing. That song is beautiful and so lilting. And the lyrics? 
Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Who chose the hymn? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Let's stick it to the pastor. By the way, that song has been part of like every church service I've been at since then. Sufjan Stevens put it on his Christmas album. Not a Christmas song. It's basically unavoidable. While that congregation was singing it, I thought that only maybe a few leaders knew that anything was wrong, but people knew. They must have known. My whole family came in late. The worship bulletins were strange with only a few songs listed and then cryptically, pastor's message. And then more cryptically, prayer groups. There was no mention of that afternoon's Labor Day picnic potluck, even though everyone had their dishes to pass. But the biggest clue that something was wrong was the front of the church. The front of the church was usually hung with large banners. If you've ever been in an evangelical church, you've seen them. They're usually made of felt, and they get changed with the season, and they say things like, revive us again, O Lord, with a Pentecostal flame, or he is risen with an Easter lily. But the church had been stripped of these, and I know that I felt looking at the spare empty walls like I had seen them being ripped down. And I wondered who else beside me remembered who'd made all those banners. And if anyone else wondered why she wasn't in church. After the hymn, we sat in the very front row. My father put his hand on my back and rose to approach the pulpit. My mother went with him. At first, she sat down behind him in one of those like, preacher thrones. And she was kind of fidgety, and you could see her deciding where to be. She got up to stand beside him. My father began... Beloved, I stand before you today for the last time as your pastor. 18 years a preacher, 12 years there preacher, a career made of something he loved. He stood in the pulpit, a place he was made for, and said, I have broken my marriage vows. He said he had lied. He lied to our family. He lied to the church, but not, he said, about the good news. My father turned away from the pulpit. His face crumpled. And then he turned back, and with his face still all scrunched up with grief and blotchy, he repeated, I'm just so sorry. And there it was, the past, still all bound up in the grave clothes, blinking in the light of day. And then in our straight line, my family walked out the front doors of the church. I leaned against my brother as we headed out into bright sunlight, into whatever was coming next. that's it for scout and birdie's 12th issue truth or dare thank you so much for listening if you'd like to stay connected to us in between our issues uh make sure to go on to facebook and like us and instagram and twitter and follow us be sure to go to scoutandbirdie.com and check out jillian hansen lewis's series of photos just desserts you can also find information about all of the artists in this issue and keep up with them if you are an artist and you would like to submit to be in a future issue of Scout and Birdie, go on to scoutandbirdie.com, click the submission tab, and there'll be information on all of the upcoming themes and how to get connected with us. I'm Anna Wolf. And I'm Jennifer Keel, and we're going to play you out with another song by the wonderfully talented Matt McNish called Two Birds on One Electric Wire.
We'll see you next time with our 13th issue at first sight. Bye. Bye. On one electric wire cutting through an autumn sky. Make no demands to write this down, but now I am, and I don't know how I could explain what it might mean or why it seemed to be so very noteworthy. Is everything I see going bringing me to my knees? I think I'm either gonna go to this party or die right where I stand. I think I'm either gonna go to this party or die right where I stand. Another man taking. Closing my eyes on board the train while everybody stays awake. Their faces on a blue light screen, and yours is featured in my dream. No.